Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Owe. So let's get started, folks, uh, by uh, starting with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So the topic of this workshop is step three. I'm Kimberly. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm one of the leaders for this morning. Hi, everyone. Hmm? It says right here, step three, but the, the spiritual principle for step three is faith, so, so you're okay. Our other speaker is Anne. So you can't talk about faith without step three, and can't talk about step three without faith, even if you don't talk about them. Okay. So the session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that the session might be available online or on a podcast feed, so anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. We have a volunteer to be the timer right up here up front. Uh, When you come up to share, she'll let you know when you have one minute left, and she's going to let Anne and me know when we have five minutes left. I would ask that if you have any kind of a device that makes noise, you move it to silent now because I'm easily distracted and perhaps other people are too. So good morning, everyone. I'm Kimberly. I'm a compulsive overeater from from Bloomfield, Connecticut, which is just outside of West Hartford, Connecticut. I have been in OA since May of 1986. I have been abstinent since September of 1986, and a day at a time, that is 11,739 days. I cheated and looked it up on the app this morning. That's kind of cool. And I'm maintaining a 65-pound weight loss and pass for a normie out in the world. Uh, When I came to OA in 1986... Sometime at the end of August or beginning of September, um, I got a new sponsor. The, uh, the Big Book Thumper asked me at the meeting uh, that night. I had broken my abstinence in, in August, and she asked me how I was doing. I told her I broke my abstinence, and I thought I really needed to get serious about the steps. And she said a magical thing. She said, uh, well, can you call me tonight at 10 o'clock? And I called her at 10 o'clock. For the next many, 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 many months, uh, no matter where I was, and it was 1986, so it's not like today that you can call any time, anybody, anytime, because you and everybody around you has a phone that can be used. I called her from many a cafe. I lived in Paris, France. I would call from the uh, public phone in the basement of the cafe, and began turning my will and my life over to my sponsor at that time. I have to tell you just a little bit about my background. I was always a sucker for step three. I was always turning my will and my life over to powers other than me. I turned my will and my life over to to food, to cookies and cakes and junk food and ice cream and stuff in my face, and it worked. 
those powers took the edge off of my anxiety and my fear until they didn't. I turned my will and my life over to the cool girls at school. If they liked me, I was cool. If they didn't like me, I was distraught. And that didn't always work so well. I turned my life over to fantasy, my will and my life over to fantasy and make-believe. And I came into OA when I was 28. And um, at that time... You might have seen me riding in the subway. When I was riding in the subway in my head, I was in the back of a limousine with Bobby Sherman or David <laughs> Cassidy or Prince Philip. I, I, I was a grown-up by age, but in my head I was still playing make-believe like I did when I was 12 years old. And... Um, you know, in a way it worked because when I was having those fantasies, I, I felt special and, and very loved. The, the problem was it worked until I had to get off the subway <laughs> and, and there was no chauffeur opening the door. There were no adoring fans screaming, screaming I love you. Um, in, in other ways, I, I was um, just like uh, I read about in the big book, although I didn't immediately relate to the big book, I could be quite virtuous, kind and considerate, generous, uh, self-sacrificing. I would do whatever you wanted me to do. Wasn't always modest. Sometimes I was controlling and dishonest, but really generally was more gracious than demanding. All I wanted was to be liked. And it made it very hard for me to understand what the big book and my sponsor and the A 12 and 12 because that not because I poo-pooed the OA literature we didn't have an OA step book then as, as most of you know so I had a really hard time understanding uh, why that I had self-will and that I was self-seeking because I would just do anything you wanted to do um I would drive, I was one of the early kids to get my driver's license, and I would drive the other kids anywhere. And I wouldn't charge them for gas. My mom would get so mad. Why don't you ask them to pitch in for gas? I wouldn't do that. They might not like me. Plus, if I drove them, they had to invite me to go in with them, right? So my mind was blown open when I got to page 61 of the big book, and it talked about being self-seeking even when trying to be kind. And I was such a nice girl, and I was so kind, in my mind anyway, I began to see that, yeah, I, when I drove people to the mall, I was included. I got to feel like I was with the cool girls, right? Because I got to go with them. When I'd get mad that people didn't offer to pay for gas, because my mom quickly caught up on the deal and she stopped funding my gas to cart people around um, and I would get a chip on my shoulder because they didn't offer to, 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 chip, to pay for the gas and I didn't get anything out of it well the fact of the matter is I might not have been invited to the party if I weren't driving and I got to go to the party uh, if I didn't, it was the 70s if I didn't bring a bottle of wine or whatever alcohol I could find a way to buy or talk my mom into buying, uh, um, I, again, I might not, I thought it was gracious, I might not get invited. And so 
that concept of being self-seeking, even when trying to be kind, really opened my mind up. And then the big book told me that, that that's playing God, having expectations of other people and, tr- and trying to be nice so people would like me or so I could be included was really me trying to orchestrate things and that that is playing God. And it said I had to quit playing God and to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. So the bad news was is I really didn't understand God. I was not literally agnostic, but I was kind of functionally agnostic. I didn't think about God. I didn't worry about God. I didn't figure God thought about me or worried about me. I really just had no opinion on the subject. I wish I could have that kind of a blank slate of opinions or lack thereof sometimes today. So um, what I did do was uh, turn my will and my life over to what the people who used to be fat and were no longer fat said and did. I didn't really, wasn't sure I was like an alcoholic with food, but I lived in France and I couldn't buy clothes in France because I was too fat. So there were people in OA in France who used to not be able to buy clothes. We all had a lot of scarves because they fit and they hid food stains, but um, we had clothes that were shipped to us from the United States what self-righteous American doesn't go to France to buy clothes, right? It's just wrong. But anyway, so I did what the formerly fat people did. I did. There were people in the room who had been crazy with food and were no longer crazy. I did what they did. I turned my will and my life over to them, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing. And I didn't understand how I was going to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I didn't even know what that meant. And and my sponsor at the time uh, said, well, Kimberly, your will is everything you think and everything you feel. Your thoughts and your feelings are your will. Your life is everything that you do and everything that happens to you. So my actions and the things that happened to me were my life. And I needed to turn those over to the care of God as I didn't understand him. She really wasn't concerned at all about the God word or that I understood or didn't understand. And what that meant was at the time I was in a very dysfunctional relationship and I might uh, decide to have a cup of coffee. And I knew if I had a cup of coffee and he didn't, I didn't offer him a cup of coffee, he would be furious with me. And so I would do it I would give him a cup of coffee because I was afraid he would be furious with me. My, I'm having a cup of coffee, my life. I'm pouring him a cup of coffee, my life. My fear he will be furious, my will. He's furious and yells at me or doesn't speak to me, my life. That's what's happening to me. So me making the cup of coffee or not making the coffee based on what somebody else was going to think, say, or do was turning my will and my life over to the care of Bozo. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that before, but that's kind of funny. Um, um, so she said, if you're having a cup of coffee, you think about what would OA have you do? What would you do if you were with me? If I were your, at your house, what would you do? I would say, oh, I wouldn't think of not offering you a cup of coffee. So 
What, and what would you do if I was a little grunch, grouchy? I'd probably get my feelings hurt, and then I would think, well, maybe she's having a bad day. So if I turn my will and my life over to her, I might still get my feelings hurt. What if I do it because program says be of service? And if I'm having coffee, I could be of service by offering somebody else a coffee. And then I don't get mad if my sponsor or if Bozo don't react the right way, I can be maybe disappointed, but I can be serene. I can hold on to my serenity. And then God lover, um, she was an awesome sponsor. Um, She had me go through days uh, writing a list of all the things that happened, all the things in the day that I could see were my will, my feelings, and my thoughts, and my life, what I was doing, and what was happening to me. And then in our phone calls, she might move something from one heading to another, and we would talk about, okay, what does it mean if you turn your will and your life over, if you turn these, this feeling or this action or this thing that happened to you over to God as you don't understand God, so you're using OA versus that other person or that situation. And it was, um, it was an, an intellectual exercise, but it was very helpful because it helped me sometimes stop from stepping on the emotional and spiritual landmine that came when you didn't behave the way I wanted you to. And you know what? You still don't. Even in my recovery and with you recovering people, you don't necessarily behave the way I want you to. Turning my will and my life over to you makes me gives me a very high probability of stepping on the spiritual and emotional landmine that causes lack of serenity. If I can do it and turn my will over to the care of God, I might almost step on the landmine and have the intuitive voice say, no, you know, think of God. Situation at work right now, turning my will and my life over to my employer big time, dealing with a situation that is really messed up, it's out of control, and it is um, very, very stressful for me, and um, it is not bringing me to a place of serenity. And uh, I, I have been thinking a lot about using the simple kit of spiritual tools that the program gives me as well as some practical tools I've learned along the line. And, I, you know, it's like I don't always have time to stop, uh, say the serenity prayer, say the sixth step, the seventh step, say the 11th step. I don't always have time to do that. And sometimes I can just stop and say, God will take care of me. God will take care of it. God, God, I'm supposed to think of God. God, I'm thinking of you. Whatever that is, it's taking my mind, my magic magnifying mind off the problem and turning take my will in my life and pulling it away from my employer and the bozos. <laughs> there are a lot of bozos in my life. Um, the bozos who messed this, this thing up and turning it in the direction of the solution. Because the problem yeah, there's a real practical problem that my company and I got to figure it out. But when I get unserene, when I get upset and really, really stressed and it's all I can think about, the problem is no longer the pra- tactical problem. It's a spiritual problem because I'm turning my will over to me, to my employer, etc. And if I can even just say the word God or what step applies, what tool applies what slogan applies, 
what tradition applies, just something. And really, I, I usually I would say STST, what step, tool, slogan, tradition applies, but all I could think of this week was, okay, God, I'm thinking of you. Okay, God, I'm thinking of you. So that was step three with me in the big book. Oh, I'm going to run out of time. I got into the AA 12 and 12 with my sponsor, and it says that uh, step three calls for affirmative action, for it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, which blocks our recovery, which blocks the entry of God, as I didn't understand him. And I don't know about you, but trying to figure out, step three says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. It, what action is that? How is making a decision an action? It is only by action that we can cut away the self-will which blocks us from God. And finally, after reading step three in the um, AA step book, time and time and time again, because every time I would ask my sponsor, I don't get it, I don't see what action I would take, she would say, go back and read it again. It says very clearly, nothing short, joining OA is a beginning of step three, but nothing short of continuous action on the remaining steps of the OA program can bring about the much-desired results. So, and then someplace else it tells me that I will understand God better at the end of the steps ah, um, uh, because I will have a spiritual awakening. So it was clear to me that you know if I was turning my will and my life over to the care of God, I had to do a fourth step. Then I, I have to say um, my early recovery was based solely on OA, AA literature and the OA uh, 12 and 12, uh, OA 4 today. But when we got the OA 12 and 12, there was a sentence in there that rocked my third step world. And it says that we will no longer do what we feel like doing or what we think we can get away with. Instead, we will earnestly seek to learn God's will for us and then act accordingly. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that before I read that sentence, and even sometimes to say, I worked my program kind of like I drive on the highway. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I'm on the highway, and until recently, 84 for almost all of Connecticut was 55 miles an hour. Crazy. They finally did it my way and changed it. But 55 miles an hour. Assuming the roads are not too heavy, not completely empty. Do you think I was driving 55 miles an hour? Nope. I was driving as fast as I safely could get away with. All right? So you could bet the minimum I'm driving, and I still drive. I have not changed my driving. The minimum I'm driving is 62 because I figure that's a gimme. If there were some other people doing 70, I'm right there with them. And if they're doing 72, I'm having a hard time staying at 70. And that's kind of how I work my program. I did my step work. I prayed. I read my meditation books and prayed. I did service at meetings. Maybe uh, was an alternate at intergroup. I was doing what I could get away with and stay in recovery. And I heard a speaker, the then chairwoman of the board, spoke at the World Service Convention in Philadelphia, and she talked about, I forget the expression she used, but getting way out of your comfort zone and doing service. And it blew my mind again that um, I needed to do more service. One day I woke up and realized that the 11th step does not say 
We read our meditation books and prayed. (laughs) We read our meditation books and pray in the morning. It says, we sought through... We sought to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him through prayer and meditation. And so not only was I not meditating, I was praying kind of pro forma. Yep, done it, check it, good to go. Not necessarily seeking to improve my connection with God. And I realized that I had to up my service and... uh, um, I don't know, deepen my my program work, expand. I don't know what the right verb is, but get more into my program work. Recently, I read something in one of the meditation books, and it talked about acting as if everything that happens is God's will. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not real religious, I'm real spiritual, but one of my religious beliefs is that I just don't believe God ordains stuff to happen. I don't believe that God ordains one of my cousin's child to die and my other cousin's children to live. I can't get my arm around that. I can't believe that God cares where the hurricane hits and that he's mad at this area, so he sends it there and hundreds of people die. He's happy at this area, and so it comes ashore as a tropical storm and nobody dies. I can't get there. But this concept of acting as if... I'm not even going to look at the timer. Um, concept of acting as if, <laughs> thank you, um, that um, everything is God's will was really interesting for me. And I'll tell you how I applied this. So uh, uh, almost two years ago, probably about two years ago, I found out that my a job I really loved was being eliminated and I would no longer have a, that position. Uh, the company did have another job for me at a lower position uh, that required a move. And we could move anywhere in New England, uh, but we couldn't stay in New York. So I have enough recovery to like get into action, um, be grateful that I'm not out looking for a job at, at, at 59, uh, and uh, asking every day to God to take away self-pity and help me be grateful. And it dawned on me, well, it's not God's will that we move to Connecticut, so I'm praying for, you know, dear God, please take away self-pity and let me be grateful for moving to Connecticut. Please take away self-pity that I'm not an uh, associate vice president and let me be grateful that I'm a director. What a Cadillac problem. But, um, and it dawned on me, what if it were God's will that I be a director? What if it were God's will that I be in Connecticut? And my prayer changed because I'm acting as if, thank you for letting me be a director. Because if, if that were God's will, and I trusted God, that's what I'd say. Thank you for letting us move to Connecticut. And you know what that di- does for me? Is it changes my perspective to look for what can I contribute rather than why is this happening to me? It, why am I here? What are we supposed to do? And it seems to me that, I, I don't have time to recap it all, but you know, in the beginning it was third step 101, and then third step for for intermediates and then um when i got to the oa 12 and 12 got me to advanced third step and i think this being willing to act as if things are god's will um for me is like um graduate level uh third step i don't know that i'll ever believe that's the case but i find that i live a happier more god-centered life when i consider what if that's the case. And I'm 
over time, so I will close with that. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ann, compulsive overeater. I was told the topic was faith. I didn't know about step three till I got here, but hopefully we'll get to that. Um, I brought along a before picture on my cell phone, and so I'm going to pass it around. Uh, but you have to keep touching the cell phone so it doesn't go black. Right? Um, I joined program in October of 2004. I just celebrated 14 years of imperfect abstinence. Um, I'm down about 45 pounds from my top weight, my 46-inch waist is down to 33. <laughs> and that was scary because they say that big waists are the more dangerous. You know, I was an apple, not a pear. And OA, I joined OA about six weeks after my husband left me, and I rebounded from my marriage into this program. Not only did I lose weight... Um, but I made new friends. It was I had had a lot of paid therapy. This worked so much better for me. The steps worked so much better for me than paid therapy. And um, I got a new mission and purpose in life, which was to help other compulsive overeaters, which I didn't have a mission and purpose in life before. <laughs> and for me, a really big benefit of program was it renewed my spiritual life. In my younger days, I was a very spiritual person. And then life happened. Husband, children, house with maintenance, sick parents. And suddenly taking care of my spiritual life was on the back burner. Now, I gained weight during that period of time. At the time, I didn't connect those things. Now I do. Um, I thought that my spiritual life was drying out like with my skin, with age, and you get wrinkles and spiritual life shrivels, right? I, I joined OA, and that it turned out to be false. My spiritual life came back when I had time, when I was devoting time to it, and that was wonderful. I once took a course in prayer, and the instructor said, Faith is easy in times of consolation, but the difficult time to have faith, and when you have real faith, is if you keep it in times of desolation. Now, I had my first ecstatic mystical experience when I was a child. I was hiking with my mom and my brother on a smallish mountain in New Hampshire. And it was a beautiful, sunny summer day, clear as a bell. And we got to the top, and my mom... You know, I've had a lot of resentments about my mom, uh, which I've been dealing with in program. But how she raised me spiritually was not one of them. I, she was great. We got to the top of the mountain, and she said, when I'm in these mountains, and she'd been climbing those mountains since she was a child, she said, I feel closer to God. And I think it was a combination of the exertion and the beautiful view, I felt it. 
And they say that's really important for a child when they're having a spiritual experience to call it out for them. I don't think my mom did that on purpose. She was too insensitive for that. But by coincidence, um, she, she did. And from then on, I knew what a spiritual experience was. And I feel very grateful for that because I came into program, and for me, it was like... Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, when she decided she could come home, she, all she had to do was click her heels together. And I, she didn't know that. And I didn't know that. But that day, when I was a child, I was 8 or 10, beautiful sunny summer day with my family, beautiful view, moment of consolation, right? Easy to have faith then. Moment of desolation. 2013, I've been in program nine years and imperfectly abstinent. They've spotted something on the ultrasound. Um, I've just gotten off the cell phone with my gynecologist, and she's informed me that my cancer markers are elevated. I'm in Manhattan. I don't remember if it was Midtown or Chelsea. I went down on the street. I'd finished my meeting. And I don't know if you've been to Manhattan, but that part of Manhattan, if you look in any direction, you will see food. Even sometimes there are restaurants on the second floor, okay? Bakery. Picture window. Full of trigger food, right? And I had this thing, because my dad got cancer much later than I did, 81. Um... And here I was, 57. I was mad. I was mad at God, okay? No one in my family had gotten cancer that young. And, you know, here I I lost my parents. I lost my career. I lost my marriage. My children were disabled with mental illness, and now I have cancer. I was mad. It felt like a slap in the face, you know, like... I joined OA. I lost 45 pounds. I've been doing my yoga, my hiking, my weightlifting. I've been doing my prayer and meditation. I should be healthy. No. And when my dad got cancer at 81, his, he was very thin. My, my dad was skinny as a rail. My mom was normal weight. How did this happen to me? Okay, um, I had one great-grandmother who was obese. I guess it was a recessive gene. Um... <clears throat> I had my dad's doctor told him to binge on sweets because he was losing weight. So early on in program, you know, long before I had cancer, and certainly no doctor had ever told me to binge on sweets, I had thought, well, what if that happens? What if a doctor tells me to binge on sweets in program? And, and the answer to that, of course, was no doctor has told you to binge on sweets. And if a doctor tells you to binge on sweets, then you can consider it then. Um, and so, but, you know, I had in the back of my mind this idea I was going to binge if I got cancer. And so I was temporarily in front of this picture window. Moment of desolation. An invisible hand grabs my face and turns it away. 
from that window. I physically could not look at that window. And in my head, the opposite of the insanely trivial excuse, and you cannot eat that, it is poison. And I was walked away from that. I didn't walk. I was walked away from that window. Moment of desolation. My higher power was there. I didn't believe it, but my higher power was there. Some other things that happened, I, you know, I had surgery, stage 3C, and I had actually, and, and I was, then I had to wait for the chemo. And what my higher power knew and I didn't yet know is that I have a genetic mutation that causes cancer young, younger. Maybe I would have had it earlier if I hadn't stopped binging, you know. Um, and also cancer associated with this medita- med- mutation, meditation, I get them in. Um, this mutation tends to be treatable. Um, and sugar is, cancer loves sugar. Um, in any case, my hair power knew all that. I didn't know that. <laughs> so I was between surgery and chemo. And people were telling me, you know, you should eat a lot now because you're going to lose weight in chemo. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. (laughs) And so I went on a phone meeting and I connected with a sponsee who had just finished chemo. And she, this was after, she called me after the phone meeting. I said I was an available sponsor or something. And she had gained 100 pounds in chemo. Now, that sponsee called me twice, and then she disappeared into the woodwork. You know, I called her once. She was trying to work program on her own, whatever. Um, that's what happens with most sponsees. In case you've never been a sponsor, most of them disappear. Um, I feel God sent her. Because it turns out that when you're in chemo, they give you steroids, and steroids make you starving. And I didn't gain weight in chemo because I have a food plan, but a lot of people do. And this idea that I should eat more because I was about to go into chemo, insanely trivial excuse, no. And the other way my higher power showed him, her, or itself at that time, I I don't have a commitment to any of those pronouns. Um, I I had two surgeries, one to remove tumors and the other to insert a chemo port. And after both surgeries, my agnostic son... Okay, who we took him to a religious youth program and when he was younger, but he doesn't attend any services now. He's disabled with mental illness. He's a computer addict. He seldom leaves the house. Although recently, thank God, he started a part-time job um, after six years home with depression. But at that time, he was just home on the computer, disabled, and he came into the hospital and he laid hands on me and he prayed over me. And I have to tell you, I don't know if that did anything for me physically, but emotionally it was amazing. Because at that time, all I could think was cancer, 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 you know. And he laid hands on me and he prayed for me. And all of a sudden it was, hi, I'm Ann, compulsive overeater, I'm back. I was restored to sanity. And 
from those moments of real desolation came this commitment. And I was considering suicide, too, because I felt that, you know, stage 3C, I'm at, you know, I'm going to, I have nothing but suffering awaiting me. Uh, you know, I had my second chemo this spring, and I'm in remission again. This five years later. I did have something other than suffering awaiting me, but I was certainly planning to go up and get a gun in, in Vermont or New Hampshire and shoot myself. Um, you can't get guns that easily in New York. And I realized, you know, for whatever reason, my higher power wants me here, abstinent doing service. And another consolation, desolation example. I, I joined program. I rediscovered my spiritual life. I was on a six-month ecstatic, mystical high. The pink cloud, right? I mean, it wasn't that I didn't have any cravings. I did. But I was ecstatic. My spiritual life was back. I was back in contact with my higher power. I was doing all these creative, weird meditations. I loved it. And I had trouble getting a sponsor because I felt my, my higher power had given me a food plan. And I was going to stick with what my higher power said. I was not going to eat what a sponsor told me. And I'm not that big a fan of sponsorship, by the way. On page 98 of the book, big book, it says, All that is necessary is to trust God and clean house. It doesn't mention sponsorship. Sponsorship was invented later, and I think a lot of sponsors are very dysfunctional. Um, but I did finally get a sponsor, and she started recommending spiritual practices to me. Now, I get this feeling that my hair power didn't really want me to change my spiritual practices, but I make authority figures, or I certainly did before I worked the steps thoroughly, make authority figures into evil higher powers. Right? Got to do what they say, whether I want to or not, and not complain. And so I tried experimenting with these things she suggested to me, and it ruptured my contact with my higher power. I went from flying to be down on the ground again. I was so mad at her. But it wasn't her fault. I didn't advocate for myself. You know, and that was one of, one of the big things that has come to me out of step work is that being a doormat is not consistent with abstinence. I used to think that being a doormat was virtuous. No. And, and you know, in the area of faith, there's a lot of people out there and we all know those people who are very sure that they know the truth. And if you don't do what they say, you're going to the bad place. Um, and I'm not super confident about my religious beliefs. I do have a sense of contact with a higher power, but I'm not confident about what that I should call that. I often say, thank you, God, Jesus, Allah, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yom, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Zoroaster, Manitou, Mother, Father, God, Goddess, Tao. What is your name? I often say that. I'm not confident. And these people who are very confident that they know the truth have always intimidated me. And, but I, in the OA 12 and 12, 
it says humility. I am no better and no worse than anyone else. They don't know more about God than I do. And as I have worked on expanding my conscious contact with my higher power and consulting with my higher power, I have gained more confidence that I am spiritually where my higher power wants me to be. And I feel much more comfortable either arguing with those people or walking away from those people and not making their anger and their displeasure and their insistence um, into my higher power. And, you know, I, since my son has borderline personality, I've learned something about borderline personality. And, that whole, and, and one of the things is black and white thinking. And that whole thing is if I, you don't believe what I believe, you're going to the bad place. That's black and white thinking. That's their problem. That's not my problem. I don't have to make their problem my problem. That's one of the things I learned in program. Clean my side of the street. Don't clean their side of the street. And my problem is not their black and white thinking. Um, because, and I actually, in preparing this speech on faith, did quote something from step three by accident. God as we understood him. And in my mind, I'm always substituting him, her, or it. Um, But it is God as I understand that concept. It's not how somebody else understands that concept. And I don't have to be a doormat about that or anything else. You know, if I'm a doormat, if I'm injuring myself to please others, I'm going to resent that person. Like I resented this hapless sponsor who told me something without realizing she didn't know where I was spiritually. I didn't tell her, didn't explain. Or I maybe explained a little, but not to the extent that she would understand that she was going to be harming my relationship with my higher power. Okay. So, in some, you know, I think as time has gone on, my faith has been increasing in my higher powers, I understand that concept. So I'll pass. Okay, we will now open the meeting to three-minute pitches. The workshop ends at 12 p.m. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer will signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, please come up to the front of the room and form a line to your right. Uh, You will need to sign uh, the release form before you speak. Step up to the microphone, introduce yourself, tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only to your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting. For those who arrive late, the topic of this workshop is Step 3, Spiritual Principle Faith. I'll bring it all together. Uh, And the meeting is now open for sharing.
remember, if you don't share, you weren't there. <laughs> Hi, I'm Beth. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm from... I'm from Brockville, and I've been in a program for about a year. Uh, When I came into program, my higher power was clearly shoved in a corner where I didn't want to talk to him because I did come into program with a faith and a strong faith, but I was very mad at that higher power. And I have learned that the most important thing I can do is even when I'm mad at my higher power, I need to talk to my higher power so that I can understand his will instead of my own. Because my will can get me into serious trouble. Um, I do not believe that God makes bad things happen. But I do believe that God will meet us in those dark corners and he will carry us through those difficult situations and he will give us the strength to persevere and to live a life that is both joyous, free, and happy when we're able to follow his will and put the food down. And so I'm grateful that um, I am coming up on a year of imperfect abstinence. I really like that statement uh, on November 28th because I learn regularly that I have to add things to my abstinence list that weren't, wasn't there necessarily at the beginning. But with God, I can face the darkness because he offers me the light to get through. Oh, I didn't know how big, the, how populated the room was. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm a compulsive overeater and restrictor. I am from New York City, and I have been in program. December first will be eight years. Um, I came into program without much of a spiritual practice. I thought I had one for about ten years. But it was wonderful to hear from the speakers about consolation and desolation because my higher power was there for me through all the beautiful times. But when it really got rough, I had no concept of who my higher power was. It took an exercise that my sponsor gave me to really start to cultivate and nurture that relationship with my higher power. And I do for myself... It does require cultivation and nurturing. Uh, I had to write down who I thought my higher power was. And I wrote it down, and I read it out loud, and I realized I have no idea who that higher power is or how to connect with it. So then my sponsor asked me, who do you want your higher power to be? And then I wrote that down. And my world opened up because our higher power can be whomever, whatever we want it to be, as long as we can connect with it and it sees us through those desolate times. Step three has been a long, long journey for me, and it's the thing that has made my program catapult forward. Uh, I have been imperfectly abstinent for just over five years, I am eternally grateful for that exercise because I now have a connection to my higher power on a daily basis. 
Every time I sit down to a meal, every time I go to bed at night, before my prayers, uh, before my meditation, after my meditation, I have to constantly connect with my higher power throughout the day to remember that I have this disease, that I am, uh, I get amnesia quite frequently. I forget that I have this disease. So um, I just want to say that this is the most important thing I could have done for myself and my program. Uh, I have a very intimate relationship with my higher power now, and um, I'm so grateful to be here today to share with you. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Um, my name's Emily. I have been in OA for a year, and I'm from Stoneham, Massachusetts, which is just north of Boston. Um, hi. hi. <laughs> um, I came into program a year ago extremely resentful and angry and broken. And I cried in um, my meetings every single time I went for about three months. Um, I haven't cried in a meeting for a long time. Um, Sorry. Um, I did not believe in God. But when I hit bottom, I, um, I went to my parents' house. And uh, my father looked at me and he said, please, just go back to church. Um, and that was um, the only thing he could have said to me at that time. And since then, I'm happy to tell you that I have a relationship with God. Um, my spirituality is the only path that's helping me through my life. Um, eating, shopping social media, all of the compulsive behaviors that I had previously been using to try to cope with um, the pain that I was feeling um, were false gods. And I'm super grateful to be here with all of you. It's been, this is my first conference, obviously. I've only been in program for a year. Um, And it feels really good to spend some time doing something nice for myself. And I've learned a ton from all of you. And uh, it's just a beautiful experience. So thank you all. Hi, my name is Meryl, and I'm from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Uh, Hi. And um, I definitely eat compulsively, and I use compulsive behaviors, food and otherwise, to deal with life. Um, So step three. 
I was a very, very, looking back, spiritual and religious little girl. Like, I definitely had a relationship with uh, my God in high school. I still had it. Um, my Nana died suddenly, and that was it. I also went into college and just take philosophy 101, and psh, you're, I, for me, that just, I became a devout agnostic. I was a great agnostic. And uh, right now, and I won't go into the history of it, but right now, I, I don't know what that uh, higher power is, except when I was thinking about it, the words were, I am, came to me. I am. And um, so uh, really, like, I do pray uh, and I do talk. Uh, and I think I'm okay with not knowing right now. You know, it will be revealed. Um, and so this is my relationship. Like, I was going to go this morning because I've been in program. It'll be three years, December 30th, but I really didn't start working the program until June 12th. Um, not really. I, I became abstinent June 12th. Anyway, I was going to go to another program, not step one, I don't know which one it is right now, but I was going to go there because I didn't really need step one. You know, like I'm I'm doing step one. And this morning I heard, go to step one. Go, go to step one. And I came reluctantly, like I talked to two different people coming here. And when I got here, it was the actual place I needed to be. Like without a doubt. It was pure gift. Um... And so I have a really hard time trusting because life has, I've had lots of, lots of problems, personal, internal, me, and then everybody else, and then jobs and finances and houses and illnesses and you name it. And um, yeah, so I realize trust is, is hard. Um, and I'm glad that I trusted to come in this morning to come here rather than what I thought I would be. And, and so it's, it's new, this whole thing. It's just really new. And, um, and I'm willing to continue to develop that relationship. Um, thank you. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm a compulsive overreader from Cape Cod. Everybody, um, I actually I grew up in a uh, family with religion. I was taught religion from a young age, and and I was t- went to CCD classes and parochial schools, and but I never had a, a God that I thought was there for me. I I I grew up with a punishing God in my mind, and I remember my first um, year in OA. Um, suddenly having this like, oh, God is doing these things for me that I didn't. It's just not what I remembered. I mean, I had these people telling me that, you know, you're going to get punished for that. And so um, as I've stayed in recovery and and developed my relationship with God, it's been very interesting to me. Last January, I had this uh, event going on in my life that I was scared. I had a lot of fear, and I was spending a lot of time. And I had, you know, been doing my quiet time, you know, sporadically here and there and asking God for help every now and then. But all of a sudden, I was desperate. 
And I really ramped up my quiet time and ramped up my prayers and, you know, everything got ramped up and I just kept asking God for help. And the interesting thing about all of that is that every day I'd be saying like, okay, so when are you going to do this? You know, when are you going to help me? I'm waiting. I've been praying. I've been asking you. It's like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And lo and behold, things did start to change. But what I've realized that the plan that my higher power has for me, that I have to have faith, is a really good plan. looks very different than the, the plan that I've had for my own life over the years. And so, but I, I get it today. For today, anyway, I get it. And I know that something else will come up in my life, and I'll suddenly have to ramp up my <laughs> practices and ask for help again in a, in a big way. But um, I know that if I keep coming and I keep trusting and I keep praying, I will continue to have that faith, and it continues to grow. Thanks. Hi, everybody. My name is John. I'm a compulsive reader from Western Mass. And I've been programmed for like 25 years. Um, The things that I was going to talk about today is that um, I love the prayers that were taught in the fellowship. And some of them are really simple, like thank you. I am no longer running this show. I will be done, not mine. I just love the idea that I can just say that any time. And it reminds me that I need to stay in contact the other thing I've learned is that I need to have conscious contact with God every day. And if I don't, that's when I get into trouble. Um, and I've been doing this fellowship for a long time. Um, and I think that this is really important. The other thing that's really interesting that I find is that step three is really an action step and says to me that I need to work the rest of the steps. And then I need to live in 10, 11, and 12. And, of course, one of those steps is step 11, and that says you need to trust God. And that's always tough, but not necessarily um, something I, I don't have to do. Um, so trust God, clean house, and help others. It's kind of mixed up there, but that's it. Thanks. Thank you to everybody who came up to the microphone and shared. And for those of you who didn't get to share or didn't come up, maybe you can talk to somebody afterwards or over lunch about step three in faith. Uh, let's close with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.